Pedagogo, the show that brings education to your ears and metamastery to your assessments. Today's episode covers trauma-informed pedagogy. When it comes to assessment, are you helping or hurting? Pedagogo, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. For all of the toughest testing challenges, ExamSoft has you covered. Welcome to Episode 3 of Pedagogo. I'm glad you could join us again today. You're in for a treat. Today I chat with the delightful Valentina Aturb Lagrave, the Director of Inclusive Teaching Practices at the University of Denver. Valentina is the first Director of Inclusive Teaching Practices I've ever met, and I hope in the near future that begins to change as universities begin to appreciate the roles of diversity, equity, and inclusion from classroom to the boardroom. Take a listen to learn how our students' lives outside the classroom are making impacts in our classrooms and in our students' learning, and about the active role we, as faculty and administrators, can take in keeping our fingers on the pulse of our students' lives in a way that enables us to champion our students and their learning. Well, Valentina, thank you so much for joining us today on Pedagogo. I'd love it if you could just start us off with a little bit about what you do every day. All right. Well, thank you for having me. This is very exciting and new. <laughs> um, I'm Dr. Valentina Iturbelagrave. I'm the Director of Inclusive Teaching Practices at the University of Denver. And my work is really devoted to inclusive practices, in particular, inclusive pedagogy, inclusive teaching practices. So, really, what inclusive teaching is the active engagement of the wealth of intersecting social identities and positionalities that faculty and students bring into the learning environment. And of course, this is um, face-to-face or online learning environments. And my goal is really to weave inclusion, not as an afterthought, but really have it permeate every aspect of curriculum development, course design, classroom management, and assessment of teaching and learning. So that's really what I devote um, my time to. Fantastic. So thank you for that. Well, Valentina, you're here to talk to us today about trauma-informed pedagogy, which I'm just now very much so learning about. Can you talk to me about what you mean when you say trauma-informed pedagogy and a little bit about what what is trauma in that context? For our purposes, I really want to hone in on, on what trauma actually means, right? So Trauma-informed pedagogy is taken into consideration that trauma in itself is a response to deeply distressing and disturbing events that are overwhelming our students' ability to cope. And this is impacting their cognitive processing skills and abilities because it's causing feelings of helplessness, it diminishes their sense of self, and their ability to feel a full range of emotions. But from the more um, neuropsych side of the house, I think it's really important to understand that trauma is impacting specific areas of the brain. It's affecting the amygdala, the hippocampus, and the prefrontal cortex. So whenever there's a traumatic stress, what we see is that there are actual changes to these areas of the brain. Mm -hmm. And what happens is this is fundamentally changing and impacting brain function among our college students with co-occurring trauma and depression symptoms, right? So that might be one of the ways that we see this pop up in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the cognitive impact at the end of the day, whether mild or severe, is harder for students to learn new things or new concepts. This is 
not helping them with their critical thinking. Mm -hmm. It's subverting what they're in class to do. Absolutely. You know, this has a continuing effect on people, even after the end of a stressful situation or experience. Trauma is a response to deeply distressing or disturbing events. You know, like this is something while we're talking about trauma, this is something that truly, truly exceeds our internal resources for coping. Like our coping mechanisms are not enough. These are terms and they require very real, deep, sustained interventions mm-hmm. from professionals. So they, we shouldn't be throwing around these germs casually. I see. Oh, that helps me so much. So Valentina, how do we work through what is and isn't trauma, especially if I'm um, an instructor in a classroom and I'm trying to identify what each student needs and how I can champion each student? There are neuroscientists, psychiatrists, psychologists, and medical professionals that carry out extensive um, neuropsychological testing for students, for individuals that have been known to experience trauma. What we see in the educational setting most often is students will arrive with some sort of accommodation. And so accommodations are telling that, okay, some students might need specific supports, right? Specific changes to the way we are providing deadlines or testing, whatever it is. So that's one way. I think what we're experiencing right now is is a little harder. We are in the midst of an unprecedented global health pandemic. Absolutely. Compounded with this is Mm -hmm. the... um, social political unrest that we are experiencing in the United States um, Mm -hmm. around um, racial violence and inequities that precede COVID. That's really important. None of these issues around race and racism are new. Mm -hmm. Um, Sadly, they precede this pandemic, but compounded with the pandemic, what we're seeing is that people's actual ability to cope Mm -hmm. is truly challenged, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think the term trauma-informed pedagogy and informed praxis is really important because we're not experiencing a moment in history where we're going to come into a classroom and we'll readily be able to identify students who might need extra supports. Inclusive pedagogy would mean that you have thought about all of these uh, points of your pedagogy before you enter that learning environment, before your students um, begin to engage with you in the course, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so when we're looking at what's happening right now is normal goals and obligations of our students may be suspended, at least temporarily, right? Sure. Because the person is devoting time and energy to processing and working through a traumatic event. Right. I'll speak more candidly about how we're seeing this right now. We have students who have lost more than one family member to COVID. I myself lost my father to COVID um, very recently. I'm so Um, sorry. And, you know, it's interesting when I talk to faculty, some of whom have said to me, you know, I've lost both of my parents during this Mm. pandemic. And students Mm -hmm. who are saying the same thing, Mm -hmm. we are not opening up our learning environments to already be humanizing in the way that our students need them to be. We're all feeling incredibly challenged 
at this time, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for everyone right now to just take pause and think about what about trauma? Like how does understanding trauma and the impact that it has on our students' cognitive engagement, what can help us in our teaching? What can help us in how we are um, presenting content, how we are drafting our syllabus, how mm -hmm. we are um, scheduling assessments, and how flexible and elastic are we being around students' ability to meet these goals and obligations in ways that are realistic, mm -hmm. given that we can assume many of them are experiencing trauma in this moment. I see. I think I'm really understanding what you're saying. In the past, we might become aware that a student has endured trauma and might have additional accommodations or resources to support them if they were to come to us with um, an accommodations letter. But what I hear you saying now is our entire globe is steeped in such a certainly tense time that perhaps it's wise for us to operate in that context and take into account everything you just listed, how we're teaching, how we're communicating, how we're interacting with that underlying knowledge that to some extent, many, if not most of our students are enduring some form of trauma. Absolutely. I used to take it as a sign of my professionalism to leave the outside world outside my classroom and not allow that to come in. And the more I have these kinds of conversations and just the more experience I have, the more I realize that can come across as hurtful or out of touch um, or indifferent when I, my goal was to come across as professional. I really bring my whole self into the learning environment. I think that when I model this to my students, I am opening the door and inviting them whenever they feel comfortable, whenever they want to come to the table as their whole selves to do so, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that is welcomed here. So I think, you know, um, this, this is part of the conversation is, you know, in higher education in general, we have wanted to focus so much on, on the content, right? To the point that I feel we have done a disservice to generations of students who are now grappling with specific realities that they cannot address, that they cannot answer, that they are having difficulty thinking through and even naming. So right. we're seeing this moment in time where it's just so dynamic and vibrant, right? The invitation to be your whole self is there, is mm -hmm. out there. There are podcasts for every single age group around identity, around overcoming what might have been seemingly insurmountable challenges, right? To to reach your your whole and true potential. And so sure, absolutely. But at the same time, we might not always as faculty feel comfortable or, or equipped to share our whole selves and well-beings in the classroom. And it might also be a day where I am not wearing my diversity, equity, and inclusion superhero cape because, I don't know, maybe I had a sick child at home. I've been up all night. I am up against a hard deadline for an article or whatever it may be. And when I show up into the classroom, I'm exhausted. Right. Right. And so that's what it means in the true sense of the word, you know, to, to be aware of our whole selves and how we're bringing those to the table in the mm -hmm. learning environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's so interesting to hear these threads. I'm thinking back to our episode on cultural attunement and really cultural attunement starts with being in tune with yourself. One of my sons recently said, you know, one of my teachers started crying during our Zoom. Wow. In AP history, right? And I said, oh. oh, wow, you know, and what did you do? And my son was like, no, you know, in the chat, everybody was so supportive of the teacher. You know, all the students were writing, you got this, it's going to be okay. But hearing my child say, I just witnessed my teacher cry mm-hmm. on Zoom. I mean, isn't that indication enough that mm-hmm. we are bringing our whole selves, that people are feeling incredibly challenged right now, and that we may not all have the coping me- mechanisms to the amount of individual and community trauma that right. that we're all experiencing. To include trauma-informed um, pedagogy in my classroom, what are some simple steps, steps I can take? Because my gosh, this feels like a big ask. So as a faculty member, what I would invite everyone to do is I want you to think through what is happening and how is this impacting you and mm-hmm. how might it all be impacting your students. And so I think understanding and acknowledging trauma is the number one step. Okay. Understanding that trauma does, in fact, impact the way our students are able to to learn, to remember information, to learn new things, to concentrate, Mm -hmm. to meet deadlines, normal goals and obligations. Sit with that. Understand that trauma really does impact this, right? Check in with your students would be my second go-to. So there's an exercise called How Are You Feeling? And it's, it's in a book called This Book is Anti-Racist, 20 Lessons on How to Wake Up, Take Action, and Do the Work. The book was published this year in 2020 by Tiffany Jewell and Aurelia Durand, who's an illustrator. I'm recommending this book to everybody out there. So it's a check-in with students called okay. How Are You Feeling? Okay. And it goes like this. It says, imagine we're all traveling along the same lake. We start at the same place and the end goal is the same, right? Mm -hmm. But we have different means and paces to get to where we need to be. Some feel too fast, others not fast enough. So the questions are, how are you feeling? Where are you in this lake we're all traveling in? Do you feel like you're swimming, paddling in the canoe or on a speedboat? Do you want to keep going at this pace? If you do, how can you support the people who are moving at a different pace than you? Do you want to speed up or slow down? Mm-hmm. Is your pace sustainable? And what will happen if you change pace? Hmm. So it's a very simple, formative, reflective assessment that faculty can use right now to situate students and where they're at without ever asking them, hey, you know, what might have happened in your personal life that's really right. impacting your ability to succeed in my class? Right. We don't want to go there. We don't want to have students. It can be shocking, right? It can be right. shocking. It can be re-traumatizing to students. You know, we always need to keep confidentiality in mind. And the fact that, you know, even in the more structural way of receiving an accommodation request, we're not going to ask the students, you know, why they have an accommodation request. No one right. should be doing that. So Valentina, do you do this in a group? Are these rhetorical questions or how do we figure out who's struggling? There is not one answer, like one size fits all here. So it's more along the lines of, hey, you know, as a faculty member, what are you comfortable with? You know, if you're teaching in a high flex or hybrid environment, maybe you want to have some of these questions in your LMS and you might want to 
have students respond to them mm-hmm. by a certain date and only you read them. Okay. That could be one thing. But what if you have a class with a lot of students? Right. It may not be realistic for a faculty member to be reading all of the answers here. So how might you adapt? Maybe you wanted to use Qualtrics and send out more of a survey style to get a read of the temperature in the room okay. for your students. Sure. So this activity will be impactful it won't lose its value if it's sent out via a survey. It will retain its value and kind of insight. It doesn't have to be face-to-face no. um, or one-on-one. Absolutely. You know, I think we, we need to have the end goal in mind. So I would invite all the faculty to think, what do I want to learn about my students mm-hmm. that will help me make specific changes or pivots to my course design, to my management style, to my communication style, even to the deadlines and assessments that I'm giving Mm -hmm. my students. That's the goal here. The goal is to have information about your students as humans. I would then say the number three step would be supporting your students in the classroom. You want to, for example, avoid romanticizing trauma narratives in subject content, especially right now, because some people do experience post-traumatic growth after successfully adapting to the fallout of a traumatic experience, but not everyone. So we can't assume that's the case for all of our students. Um, Provide students with a support system, you know, just say to them, hey, I'm here to support you. of their resources, right. Yeah, you know, like reach out if you need to miss class. Um, You may not necessarily need to tell me why you're missing class. Mm -hmm. Just let me know that you need a mental health day. And that's okay. I'll accommodate mm-hmm. that. Provide hey. students with the campus resources at their disposal as well. I think this is a moment where everyone needs to give grace. Mm-hmm. You know, we need mm-hmm. to just hold each other as humans mm-hmm. at the same time that we are performing professionally. And I think, you know, it's really important to not just tell students, but give students, you know, access to the health and counseling services on the campus. Um, Every campus has confidential services for students. I would make those available to them as well. Include them in your course, right? Mm -hmm. We have students that are also not just experiencing the trauma of this historical moment, but who are also um, experiencing, you know, housing insecurity. Food insecurity. Food insecurity, yes. We have students whose parents have lost jobs. Students themselves have lost jobs. They might be struggling with paying for college and paying for their food and paying their rent. This is all very real. And I don't see enough mention of these issues Mm -hmm. in, in the news, right? We all need to be cognizant of this. And that's where I say, for this not to feel overwhelming, sit with the fact that trauma is impacting your students' ability to learn and succeed Mm -hmm. in your class. Right. Well, and I think to your point, the more we can normalize these types of conversations without calling anyone out, but if on a regular basis, I can say, be reminded on on on-campus counseling, this is a trying time, I know I'm feeling stressed, Um, or be reminded of the food pantry on campus, the more we can normalize these kinds of resources and conversations and remind our students these resources exist for a reason. It's not because one student needs it. It's because, you know, many students need many of these resources over the course of their time in college. 
And it should be a part of the syllabus. I mean, syllabi are living and breathing documents and they should be treated as such. You might want to include in your syllabus a basic needs security statement. Many faculty are including those statements, right, that are addressing housing and food insecurity. Um, You might want to include a statement around technology and the requirement. Well, at the University of Denver, we have, for example, a laptop loaner program. So students who don't have the necessary tech to learn from home, we will address that. We will send them the technology they need to log into their classes. And, you know, I would just add, just remember that every learning environment should be inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. Any instance um, of inequality or micro inequality can really accumulate and have a very significant impact on our students' learning. Learning environments are climates and they're not just intellectual. These are social, emotional, and physical environments as well. And so- We need to start thinking about the classroom, whether it is online, hybrid, high flex, or face-to-face, as an environment that is all-encompassing of our students' whole selves. What, if anything, is the role of the traumatized individual in this interaction with us? You know, it's different for everyone, right? Sure. I mean, you might find a student is very outspoken and can really ask for what they need in the moment right and then you might have students who who are not um ready to do that or who they're just by their personality that's not something they want to do or they're still you know questioning whether they want to be seen or are fearful that they might be seen or defined as oh you know a student who went through x y or z right Right. and in that case that's where the assessments come into play by giving your students a set of questions that are not too granular, but invite their reflection and invite them to say, I am feeling challenged. I feel Mm -hmm. like I need to slow down. Like the class should be a little slower. I would benefit from having different um, due dates or flexible due dates, right? Mm -hmm. So the role of of the individual that's experiencing or experienced trauma really varies. I usually say to faculty, you know, you should be doing formative assessment, one minute paper yes. right? every week. This is giving you real time information on how your students are not only experiencing the content in the class and learning it, um, but what might be outside factors impacting their potential success in your mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. I love one minute papers and I'm highly recommending right now the critical incident questionnaire. From okay. Brookfield and Prestel. Um, these are a series of really simple questions that you can ask your students to write down anonymously. You can do it in survey style, whatever it is. And you don't have to do all the questions, but things like, hey, what happened in class today that made you feel curious? So it's anchoring their experiences in teaching and learning, in hmm. their cognitive experience. And that's what we want to ultimately do, right? This conversation about trauma informed pedagogy and inclusive pedagogy. At the core of it is we want our students, all of our students to succeed. Right. No, I agree. We absolutely do want all of our students to succeed because I was a big proponent of formative assessment, but it was always about the content. It doesn't take any more than a minute um, to check in on the other. And so I think if, if anything legitimizes the need for inclusive, trauma-informed, and humanizing pedagogy and praxis, 
it is the very historical moment that we are all collectively mm-hmm. experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And I think when we take collective responsibility as educators mm-hmm. for the well-being and success of our students, not just in our classroom, because I assure you, most of our listeners who are faculty members, I'm sure they want their students to take what they have learned in their courses out into their world, out into their lives. Yes, if we can appreciate it for the tipping point that it is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So Valentina, in the moments we have left, I'd like to ask you two more questions um, that I think will really round things out. My first question is, what role does traditional assessments, we're talking midterms, finals, papers, class projects, What role do those things play in communicating to us about our students' well-being? Well, I think there's a variety of ways. I mean, there are summative assessments to meet specific accreditation requirements or program success requirements, right? They need to remain a certain way, right? And they are completely focused on content, their critical thinking ability, problem-solving ability, and, and that's great. When we start to see in summative assessments that a student develops a trend, that student has a pattern, Mm -hmm. that they are not succeeding in specific components of those exams or assessments, Mm -hmm. then I would invite that student to the table, Mm -hmm. ask them, I notice that you are struggling with these types of questions or whatever it may be. Think about how you are writing your own assessments. For example, if you're writing a problem for students to solve, or maybe it's a case study, and you're using a lot of colloquial language Mm -hmm. or very culturally dependent references, hey, just know that some students may not understand what that means. Right. What those mean. And, And in so doing this is not fully accessible or equitable to all students. So you might want to revise those types of assessments. I am a huge proponent in formative assessments. I love something that starts from the very first day of class to the very end, right? Where they can see and experience their own growth and development, whether it be portfolios or journaling writing, anything that allows students to to really be so proud of their work. I think hmm. we miss a lot of those opportunities in higher ed. To see that um, growth. Absolutely. Right. Um, well, and, and I think from what you're saying, the formative assessments that are more of the Humanity 101 check-in perhaps can help contextualize the summative assessment results that we're seeing, whether this is a content issue or maybe a trauma-related issue. If we're seeing a drastic change in performance or performance from last year to this year, um, together with that, those formative assessments and that insight that we're getting as we engage with them, that might help us contextualize the conversation we have in our office. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Every summative assessment should include a little formative component, right? Hmm. You can think about um, how you can gauge students' experience in your course and with the content by adding another bullet point, another question to the exam, right? You can just mm-hmm. say multiple choice. Um, how prepared did you feel for this exam? Oh, I love that. Yes. And so, again, like you can do that one extra question in that summative assessment. Right. Um, you can make it multiple choice. And this is the other part of the conversation is, hey, faculty are super overwhelmed as well. So we want to make the job easier on them too, because otherwise it won't be sustainable. That's what I love about psychometrics. If you have psychometrics available to your item performance mm. analysis, those can be great objective 
arbiters of am I writing unintentionally biasing questions. So either liaising with a colleague to put a second set of eyes or looking at your psychometrics if you're using computer-based testing, but metrics to, to quantify, am I writing biased or discriminating questions? And if so, to make those tweaks. There are so many layers. And and do you think about our assessments as helping our students learn how to learn? Those yes. students that can come to us and say, hey, this is what I need to learn better. In all of our assessments, we're having a little metacognitive question at the end yes. that is tapping into who they are as learners and and helping them understand the link between that and their success. Yes, participate in that cultivation of that skill. Absolutely. A high honor. Absolutely. The last question I really want to ask you is what are the stumbling blocks that can get in the way of trauma informed praxis or pedagogy? So, one would be, you know, academic cynicism. And we don't talk enough about it, but you know it. Everyone knows (laughs) it, right? Academic cynicism. It's like, here's one more thing, Um, you know. This another fad. We're not here to handhold or be, you know, mental health professionals for our students. You know, that's one thing. And that is a narrative that is incredibly corrosive to faculty who are feeling inspired and and ready to do the work, right? Uh Yes, that within their own group of educational peers, they don't find validation that this is something worthwhile, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a big stumbling block because mm-hmm. just as peer pressure impacts kids in K-12, you know, this is impacting faculty as well. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about it enough. And so I would say to that, just remember that there are like-minded practitioners all over the world. You will find what you need and the support you need online. Go to your professional associations and see who's having these conversations because people are having these conversations and become a part of that conversation. Another stumbling block, I would say, is it's just cognitive load right now. Sure. People are incredibly overwhelmed. Um, you might want to do this work, but hey, you're figuring out how to use a really confusing LMS interface, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're having to pre-record your lectures and this is new to you and and you're thinking, wow, okay, this all sounds great, but I'm still trying to get my course on my LMS, right? (laughs) Yeah. So that's a stumbling block and that's okay. Just remember, you don't have to start right now. I want you to just keep this in mind. Any moment that's right for you is is right to start, period. Yeah. We don't have to do all the things right away. Love that. We don't have to be the buttoned up perfect version of ourselves every day to come to class. We just have to be aware of what we're going through. Exactly. And we're not going to know everything. And that's okay. You don't have to know everything. You know, I often get this from faculty around diversity and equity um, topics. And they're like, oh, am I supposed to be facilitating a conversation about what's happening in the U.S. right now in my, you know, I don't know, my science class? And I'm like, well, I... Do you feel that you're well-equipped to facilitate that conversation? No, then you probably shouldn't be having it. But you should invite students and open the door and say, you know, I acknowledge that we're all living through some really intense um, social times, social political context, and this might be impacting you and your ability to learn in my class. And that's okay. I just want you to know that I'm not an expert in this, but there are people who are, right? 
and I'm here for you. And there are people who are, and I might recommend, you know, specific readings or books or people on campus or podcasts that I listen to, to my students, right? Mm -hmm. That might be supportive. You can always find the experts um, and, and hand it over to them. You know, I think that's, that's very important. Also, we can't be experts in everything. Yes, I love that. I love it. It really makes me think as a concluding comment, it makes me think one of my favorite parenting experts always says, no matter what question your child asks you, say, that is an excellent question. And I'm so glad you asked me. And then you can either answer or say, I'm going to get back to you. But to always say, thank you for choosing to bring it to me. And I think we can do that in our classrooms, no matter if we have a PhD or just love our, our students and are a champion of theirs to be able to say that. I'm so glad you included me. Let me see what I can do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I love the way you said that. We want them to succeed. You know, I have yet to meet a faculty member whose goal is not for their students to succeed. Right? Truly, truly. Right. And so, hey, this is at the core of, of why we do what, what we do and why we love it so much. Agreed. Well, Valentina, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot and I know our listeners are going to learn so much. And really what you helped me with is making this feel so much less scary. We want to show up for our students in such a crazy time in all the things that 2020 is. Um, And our conversation today for me made that a lot less scary. And I hope the same is true for our listeners. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and providing this great platform. And to everybody out there, be well, be kind, and take good care. Wasn't today's episode great? For me, it was an entirely new take on the role assessment can play in our classrooms. A way to check in on our students and connect them to resources for their success. Whether that's a study group, an extended deadline, counseling services, or directions to the food bank. We're all human, and whether we intend them to or not, our lives, cultures, and identities accompany us wherever we go. By being aware of ourselves, doing the hard work of being authentic, and doing the work of knowing and then responding to our students, we not only make them better learners, we play a role in championing their success. Now that's a reason to get up and show up each day. Stay tuned next week as I sit down with Christina Puguio, Director of Academic Assessments at the University of Denver or as she refers to herself, an academic DJ who choreographs assessments and accreditation with the everyday activities of students, faculty, and staff. Can't wait. For a transcript of today's shows, additional resources, or to listen to previous episodes of Pedagogo, come visit us online at examsoft.com pedagogo. While you're there, take advantage of the other assessment resources we have, including on-demand webinars, white papers, blog posts, and more. Until next week, I'm rooting for you, Education Nation. Pedagogo. Brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. For all of the toughest testing challenges, ExamSoft has you covered. This podcast was produced by Allison Case and the ExamSoft team. Audio engineering and editing by Adam Karsten and the A2K Productions crew, including me, Keely Karsten. This podcast is intended as a public service for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not a legal interpretation nor a statement of ExamSoft policy, products, or services. 
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of ExamSoft or any of its officials, nor does any appearance on this program imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Additionally, reference to any specific product, service, or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by ExamSoft. This podcast is the property of ExamSoft Worldwide, Inc. and is protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of ExamSoft.